0: Hey friends, it's me, Chris, and today I have an interview, or I guess I should say an intern-view, for you. I interviewed or intern-viewed Ben, and Ben is another student that I am uh, good friends with. And while he isn't going to work in roller coasters and theme parks and the like for the rest of his life, he does have plenty of thoughtful things to say about the matter. Before we get to the interview, I'd encourage you to subscribe to this podcast wherever you are listening to this podcast because I'd really appreciate it and it would help you to get future episodes of intern views quicker. And that's good for everyone. I'd also encourage you to follow me on Twitter at internviewspod. That is the Twitter handle for uh, the Twitter account associated with this podcast. Once again, the Twitter handle is internviewspod. With no further announcements, here is my intern view with Ben. I have Ben with me right now. Ben is a student.
1: Ben, do you like
0: coasters?
1: I'd have to say I do. Uh, I don't know if you're looking for more than one word answer to that. Uh, yes. an
0: interview? Yes, please. Please elaborate a little. <laughs> I,
1: I, I think uh, one of the best places places to start with uh, do do I like them as just certain memories that I have with roller coasters um, I know that my experiences are not uh, as extensive as as yours obviously and I, and I don't keep as meticulous uh, of a record um, but I think one of the first roller coasters I went on was actually at Six Flags, I believe it was in Dallas.
0: So, Six Flags over Texas?
1: Yes. Um, I I wouldn't even be able to tell you uh, the name for sure. Um, what did it, it look like? I may be able to identify. Well, I was just going to ask if the name Boomerang is the name of a roller coaster at that particular location. I'm not sure about
0: the specific one, but there are definitely boomerang roller coasters, and then those are very common around the world. Okay. They go Um, forwards and backwards, they go through a few loops.
1: Yeah, I, I definitely was on a roller coaster called boomerang, and I remember that experience. I just, I wouldn't be able to tell you with absolute confidence whether or not that actually happened at Six Flags over Texas.
0: Okay. Um, yeah, there's there's Boomerangs at Worlds of Fun, Six Flags, St. Louis, tons of other parks. It's actually the most replicated, well, one of the most replicated roller coaster models in the world because it's so inexpensive and it looks cool. Okay, Even though they're maybe not the best rides, uh, and experience-wise, they, uh, they look cool. So.
1: I think it was the first time I had been at a park and was tall enough to go on the rides that looked whatever you want to call it, exciting, intimidating, um, some benign combination of the two. Um, I was, I was really excited. I I went with my older brother. Um, Neither of my parents were interested in going on, on the ride. Um, But I definitely would not have been allowed to go on the ride uh, by myself. Um, I remember my, my brother was, uh, generally, uh, a bit of a show off, but I remember that was one of the first times that he kind of put that aside and was very encouraging and and really wanted me to experience it just for the sake of it. He didn't want to see if it scared me out of my wits or anything. He he just really wanted me to get to ride with him. Uh, and that was, that was pretty cool. So I do have a, a positive, uh, positive experiential memory just from being on the ride but also relational memory uh just a little bit of bonding with my brother uh which was of a different flavor than than what we usually got to do um that's sweet yeah so that that was uh man i i hadn't thought of that in a really long time that's i forgot a, did you say yes or no to do it, like? It? yeah i do okay, i okay, definitely I do it. yeah okay um What's your
0: coaster count?
1: <laughs> yeah, that's uh, I kind of yeah. referenced that at the beginning. I, I wouldn't even be able to tell you. Um, I could probably get somewhere close um, if I just sort of meandered uh, conversationally. Um, it's okay. You don't have to.
0: Okay. <laughs> people, I people, including me, have spreadsheets on Excel that <laughs> list out every coaster they've ridden. Some people do it how many times they've ridden each coaster. I don't go that far, uh, but it's cool to keep a list when like, when you really get into it. To say, ah, I've ridden 143 roller coasters. And if I ride this one and then this one, then that one will be my 150th. And, and that's cool for some people.
1: If I had to guess, I would say mine is probably in the ballpark of 15 to 20. Um, 15 to 20? No, you're probably in like the...
0: Thirties or forties, I bet. You think? Don't undersell yourself. You've
1: I, been around. I've been to Disney World and Universal and Six Flags and Silver, Silver Dollar City and um, Bigfoot. Um, I don't. I don't know if it, if those would. Would contribute to a coaster count. I suppose those are different rides. Very observant of you. Um, Still good, but they're
0: but, not, not coasters. Uh, there's actually um, occasional controversy in the enthusiast community over what is a credit, uh, like what is a roller coaster and what is not. Um, Six Flags came out with these um, circles of rides where they're they're Larson loops. That's the name of the model. And they don't coast, but they have trains that are powered along the track in the shape of a loop. And Six Flags calls them roller coasters because then they're easy to market. But then all the enthusiasts are like, that's not a roller coaster, what's going on? <laughs> and, uh, and so that just happens every few years where the uh, presiding... Uh, there needs to be like a presiding board over what is and is not a roller coaster. Okay. <laughs> That's something that needs to happen, I guess. But we visited Silver Dollar City in Branson, Missouri um, in late March, I believe. Yes. And uh, so you've been to Silver Dollar City a few times. It's a great theme park, themed to the 1880s in uh, the Ozark region of uh, Missouri, Mm-hmm. And uh, it's a nice theme park. Lots of fun rides. Outlaw Run, Time Traveler. Oh, you didn't get to ride. Right, the, the line was long. Yeah. Oh, forget I said that. But um, what do you think about Silver Dollar City?
1: I think that I have definitely purer memories from when i was younger um i remember being fascinated with the craftsmanship and the rides were it was just it was just bliss it was it was super exciting uh now um just just having a little bit more social awareness i know i know there there are some behaviors that you'll see in the park that that may taint the experience but but I think that's common of, of any park, really. Talking about um, line jumpers? <laughs> uh, I mean, not just line jumpers, but also just how, how people interact with each other with their words or um, see people be being rude or impatient to, to employees. Um,
0: that's a service
1: industry. Yeah. and, 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 and Right. And, and, and like I said, it, it's not really restricted to Silver Dollar City, but... Um, it it does does come into play um, when you're talking about uh, overall experience I think uh one of the things that and i and I sort of mentioned this uh, just a few moments ago the craftsmanship I think is what sort of makes it what it is uh, and and what makes it different than other theme parks it from my experience, I, I don't know. Uh, you'll probably be able to speak more to this um, about the role of various types of entertainment within a park. Um, but I think specifically seeing people demonstrate glass blowing or carving or um, blacksmithy or um, any of these sort of work with your hands trades um, that have kind of come back into the spotlight in the last few years, but really are, are still kind of a lost art. Um, mm-hmm. That's just that's just really special to see that up close and see it really mastered and demonstrated for, for lots of people. Yeah, there's definitely
0: novelty in walking down the path at Silver Dollar City and and seeing these craftsmen that are masters in their own trades which are not really common anymore. So there's that uh, novelty that specialness there of um, you get to see someone create what you usually see as a finished product that's uh, usually factory mass produced and then you see um, it produced as a piece of art a lot of times. And that's really cool. And and to have these um, craftsmen practicing their trades just in the environment of silver dollar city it's really something that elevates it to one of the best uh, to make it one of the best theme parks period because uh, great parks and great experiences include uh, attractions and things that the whole family can experience together and that the whole family can create uh, joint memories uh, together um, with the uh, the tradesmen practicing as maybe i guess uh, a facilitator of that. They right. get to see Hey, remember when we saw that glass blower make that elephant or something? Wasn't that so cool? And that sort of thing. And I think that um, that's something that's a feather, a huge feather, in so would cap with that.
1: Yeah, and I, I, I suppose you probably want to move on from this in in uh, not too long, but no, we got all the time I, in the world. Go yeah, I just I just think that the fact that these craftsmen are simultaneously professionals they are they are masters in what they do but they're also actors and performers um, they if you go to the park you'll see that um, they are costumed mm-hmm. so so they will interact with the audience in a way that is um, modern and approachable in that they're not they're not off-putting anyone with really archaic language. But at the same time, there is this sense of transporting you back to a, to this sort of pre-industrial, uh, pre-mass manufacturing. To the um, pastoral. Right. Yeah. And, yeah. and it is, like you said, 18, 1880s, I believe. So, mm-hmm. so the first industrial revolution had already happened. Um, but this type of craftsmanship was not gone, especially in this part of the country. And so I think, uh, it is, it is cool to see this, um, quality over quantity, which sometimes maybe gets lost in something that feels so industrial as, um, as a theme park. Um, yes. because because a lot of times when I think of theme parks at least I think of massive construction I think of souvenirs that are mass produced yes. I think of marketing to just hordes of people lots and lots of people and so to sort of slow it down and to bring someone into this meticulous craft uh, in real time it's not it's not something that's on a jumbotron. It's not something that's just another um, super fast um,
0: Consumption pe- vehicle of entertainment or right. whatever it, you're saying.
1: It's really it's really a now you're here, you're in the park, let's slow down and just celebrate celebrate what it means to be in this moment and i and I think that that's that's tricky to do that's a that's a hard challenge if if you were to say to to someone designing a park you know figure out how to do this um, i don't know that anyone would be able to come up with have them watch craftsmen i don't even know if that was the original reason that they brought that into the park, but I think that it's definitely one of the most um impactful um, effects, whether it's the primary purpose, I I don't know. Well that's definitely something that
0: Silver Dollar City's got something it's pretty unique for them and Dollywood and maybe a handful of other parks. And uh, the craftsmen go back to pretty far back into Silver Dollar City's history. It opened in 1960 uh, for the first time as a theme park proper Uh, where previously it was just cave tours in the marvel cave on site and then there were lines that were so long in the area that they uh they built up these uh this old mining town uh, with an ice cream parlor a candy shop things like that to entertain the visitors while they were waiting for their time to go down into the cave and eventually they incorporated these craftsmen to really uh, almost make it into a bit of immersive theater to take people back into the 1880s of the Ozark region of the country and then eventually they added the flooded mine and uh, fire in the hole indoor roller coaster then they got to the modern technology rides as well but they um, they implement them in ways that they work they Mm -hmm. fit it doesn't look like there's this uh, while they might be modern engineering marvels of, of amazing roller coaster manufacturers and design firms they are fit in a way that makes sense for the park and most parks don't do that so it's really special that Silver Dollar City does that I guess and uh, to really uh, create and maintain that atmosphere of immersion that elevates it to a different experience than what a lot of parks could offer I guess
1: yeah and I, I don't know um, you know I, I like to think of things uh in terms of takeaways and i know that 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 reduces things uh maybe too far um but it makes
0: but it makes for great clickbait titles so keep going
1: (laughs) I, i mean it it's like what what can other parks do to to compete with that type of slow down model because because i mean in their very nature when you think of theme parks and roller coasters it's thrill it's speed it's um it's this we 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 wait in line to be able to spend 50 seconds or or however long the the ride is um, exhilarated and to to have something that is is slow and meticulous but still holds your attention um, that's a powerful contrast that's a, that's a powerful combination of saying we have something for the thrill seekers but we also have something for who may be the same people when you're done with that when, you, when you're, you're wanting to, to just breathe and stroll or whatever come watch someone work some you know come watch someone um really really show off um what can be accomplished when you slow down when you rehearse when you practice when you fail when you make mistakes that's like a that's a rare rare opportunity to be able to see uh someone perform like that and it's not like it's not like theater where it's a it's an elaborate story it's a smaller piece of the puzzle it's it's one person churning out one piece of craftsmanship at a time and you get to watch that it's not a massive um production Uh, it's it's very it's very intimate and i think that that's um and it's intimate in a way that a lot of art uh, isn't because I think uh, today when you think of intimate I think you think of emotionally powerful in that uh, someone is bearing their soul to you uh, and and it's not intimate that way it's it's intimate like they are bearing their their skill um, and and and, <laughs> yeah. and that's um, and it's it's not even a competition and that's that's rare for someone to be able to show off in a way that is not Competitive in a way that is um, demonstrative. Um, it's almost like the uh, I think of the Harlem Globetrotters. It's 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 taking something that was originally meant as a sport, as a competition, and just turning it into pure entertainment. And um, you know you don't you don't really have any losers with the Harlem Globetrotters and you don't have any losers you don't have any um anyone going out of business because of these craftsmen um but at the same time uh because it because it exists in a park with you know i don't know i, I don't know really how to elaborate on that but did you bring up the globe
0: trotters because they've uh Performed at Silver Dollar City for like the three the past three
1: summers. I actually I, I didn't. You didn't, uh, did. you know I, that? Uh, I did. I, okay. I've seen some <laughs> of the advertising. Because that was a good time. <laughs> wow. Um, okay. I just I brought that up because it, it is. It's taking a, an enormous amount of craftsmanship, in in turning it into something, um, audience friendly. Um, yeah, something digestible
0: in. Real. Uh well, I hate to say it, but in a commercial form.
1: Right. Charging
0: right. mission, you're now it's really cool you are able to purchase what you see them make. Um and I don't know if they get commission on those sort of sales, yeah, I, but I don't know either. It's cool that the that you can get that tangible takeaway. To yeah. bring it back to takeaways, that tangible takeaway of that experience and those memories that you create.
1: Yeah. yeah.
0: So Ben, we touched on it a little bit in uh, in our previous question about theme parks and roller coasters, but I like to ask you now about immersive theater because I know that you are involved in theater with your education, yeah. with your past, and with your future. Yeah. And I, as well, am a, a frequent patron of the theater at all levels. Um, I don't go to a lot of I don't go to a lot of middle school theater, but um, <laughs> at all levels, I'll just say I. I support theater at all levels, I think it's a, a great thing and something that I, I really enjoy is uh, taking it out of the proscenium, making it something where it's an environment that it happens all around you, um, immersive theater. And uh, I've seen uh, bits of immersive theater with Natasha Pierre in the Great Comet of 1812 on Broadway, which closed so before it's time, but don't get me started on that. <laughs> Uh, and again, and once on this island on this most recent season of Broadway, um, where it's staged in the round. And it's, it's again, it brings you into that environment uh, of being in the Antilles, where you are now um, there's sand underneath your feet, there is rain above your head. It's really special that they do that. So I'd like to ask you now what do you think about immersive theater?
1: I mean, yes when i think about theater of any of any kind i'm generally sort of spinning my mental wheels um as to ways that it can be applied um you know what what can we do with it how can it jump off the page more and i think just by its very nature that is what immersive theater is by definition it is theater that jumps off the page um and i think Um, it's hard to it's hard to not be compelled by projects that take that format. Whether it is um, something that is mythical in nature, um, something that is political, something that is um, comedic, um, whatever it is, if the audience has a more thorough um, sort of piece of the world um, that they're able to interact with Um, more than just the um, the audio and the visual but also the spatial and the um, tactile and kinesthetic If, if they're able to inhabit the space you know whatever it is that that this any particular um, work is going for, whatever they're trying to get out of immersing the audience into something. Um, I think it's it's just it's just being a little more unapologetic about what their objective is. Um, and I think that that that's something that a lot of a lot of pure artists um, claim that art should be, for art's sake um and i think that immersive theater um can be that but also uh, allows the artist um or the collaboration of artists to sort of say hey um come into this world and feel this exact moment feel this exact thing because we think it'll change you we think that this is uh something different um Just a a little bit of um, background from me, Uh, I have been a member of Missouri State's Giving Voice Theater Troupe, um, and we do short scenarios, usually ranging from 8 to 12 minutes, that demonstrate some kind of oppression, whether it's related to sexual misconduct or classroom misbehavior involving slurs, stereotyping, discrimination, um, various types of bullying, uh, marginalization. We conduct our forums in a way that is I would say semi-immersive. We still have uh, a performing space where we're, we're in front of the audience, um, sort of what you talked about, uh, a proscenium setup, but we are usually not performing on a traditional stage. We're usually performing in a classroom or a conference room or something like that. Um, but what's immersive about our model is that after we've we've performed this scene we have a talk back session and then an intervention session so so it, it occurs every performance occurs in three phases so phase one audience sits back nothing immersive about it they just watch the show phase two they can interrogate any character they want to ask them how they're feeling ask them what their motivations were ask them why why did you do this thing why why did you say this to another character why did you look away when they said this um i noticed that you kind of shivered when they uttered this word or whatever and i think what the immersion does for the audience is it is it lets them practice not being passive because I think something that a lot of us take for granted is that um, you know if if you're being passive or you're being active in in a situation like that you know bystander intervention or whatever um, it's just a matter of choice it's a matter of courage it's a matter of integrity it's a matter of you know sort of moral uprightness. Are you Are you the kind of person to stick up for the little guy, the one being harassed or bullied or whatever? But a lot of times, it's more than that. It's not just, are you willing? It's, do you know how? Can you? Uh, it, it's a skill. It's a skill to be able to diffuse a situation, to de-escalate um, someone who has become agitated to a degree that they are... Causing another person to feel uncomfortable, to feel threatened, um, to feel invalidated, whatever. Um, and this format says, "Okay, audience, if you if you see something that you want to change or something that you that doesn't really line up for you, we dare you, we dare you to see what happens when you try to fix it, and it's not." Uh, it's funny what I'm about to say because we were infamous for for calling this a safe space, um, but it's not safe. Like you, you're not guaranteed a yes. That worked perfectly. Thank you for volunteering. Uh, you know, you don't get a, a magic response out of someone. Um, the actors are trained to study their character's motivation, and if someone's intervention doesn't jive with them, they're not just gonna be nice. They're not gonna play nice with the audience, and and I think that that sort of improvisation, that sort of audience feedback um, is an interesting type of immersion. Um, so that applies to both the, the talkback um, phase and the intervention phase, when they actually um, enter the scene as a character, or they can actually tag team another character and, and uh, sort of become that character for, for a line or a moment. And I think, uh, I, I touched on this earlier, this type of immersive theater is sort of social political. Um, it, it says there is a, a type of behavior that's appropriate. Um, that is conducive to people feeling welcome, people feeling safe, people feeling productive, wanting to be productive with other people, wanting to collaborate with other people there are things that enhance that, and there are things that detract from that and that's a that's that's theater with an agenda i mean there there's no um there's no beating around the bush that we have takeaways that we want the audience to have and I think um, that is simultaneously one of the strengths and one of the weaknesses of that type of immersive theater Um, Why is that a weakness? I think it's a weakness because a lot of times actors become frustrated if an audience member has a legitimate uh, difference in opinion or a different take on the, the impacts of a, of a character's behavior. So if, if someone, say, we really do try to make these characters characters and not just symbols. Um, you know, a lot of times we will have a character who represents uh, some marginalized group. So um, every single cast, we will have a character um, whose sexuality is not straight. We'll have um, multiple genders. We will have uh, multiple racial identities. We'll have um, people with different religious backgrounds. And I think that a lot of times in order to paint this picture of marginalization we have to oversimplify and make a villain. We have to have someone who is doing the wrong thing, is causing someone pain or grief or whatever and a lot of times the the way that we respond to those interventions it it lends them, it lends itself to a punitive approach. Um, This person who is doing this thing should be confronted, should be reprimanded, whatever. Um, And if they, if that character feels affronted or insulted, but the character who is being oppressed appreciates it, then usually there's this value judgment that, okay, um, the oppressor doesn't really need uh, we don't really need to to feel sorry for them if they didn't like it because they were the bully um and and I think that if there was a less um, a looser agenda i guess in in examining these scenarios um it wouldn't be as maddening when an audience member um you know is is defending say someone who um, uses a slur you know if 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 it if they want to go further than the behavior and and talk about what's going on with that character or whatever um a lot of the members of the troop will sort of take this uh take this approach of well you can't justify it you can't you can't defend this guy and and I think that that is a scary place to be where where you're saying uh because someone was I- engaging in harmful behavior we should uh not not attempt to negotiate with them not not attempt to understand their point of view and i think that's the opposite of how we make meaningful change um, i think confrontation is necessary in certain situations but in most of the most of the scenarios we portray i i don't think that that's the case um i don't i feel like i'm kind of rambling that i don't know no if this I've, is great i don't know if i've answered the we're question we're definitely but...
0: deeper than theme parks right now and i like that that's uh important uh, i'm really glad that you talked about your experience with giving voice and the agenda theater that it is and and what that means for the art that it is it's very interesting to hear about
1: yeah, and I and I think that uh as a future educator, um I just I guess for our audience, um I am a special ed major uh with a background in theater. And as a future educator, I I think that it's going to be a responsibility of mine to use theater in a way that is conducive to comprehensive learning. So whether it is learning social skills, learning, uh, how to be politically engaged without, um, always thumping an agenda, um, you know, how to sometimes tackle issues that are objective and sometimes tackle issues that are subjective, um, I think a balance between the two is very important and and I think sometimes people do get caught up in the subjective Um, art generally uh, is is just talked about as if it's entirely subjective but if you're going to deal with um, policy and people um, there's science to it and and there is uh, there's a, a bit of power that you can lend to fiction when you use non-fiction. And and it's you know, it's kind of like uh reinforcing concrete. It's like you don't need nonfiction for fiction, but if you use it, it's definitely more powerful. Um and I think it's like putting rebar in concrete, yeah, yeah. And <laughs> to the, make it a metaphor, yeah. well, a simile, sorry. Yeah, simile. yeah, and, and I think that, um, yeah, I, I I definitely have a, an affinity uh, for for theater that is is reinforced with the rebar of of nonfiction, I guess. Now that's a metaphor, <laughs> yeah.
0: where previously it was a simile. Well, Ben, Benjamin, Benji, <laughs> whatever you go by, thank you for talking with me today and for giving your valuable insights about theme parks, Silver Dollar City, roller coasters. I think that's what we actually began with, roller coasters. Yeah. Uh, but then we uh, expanded into so many other different topics like immersive theater, theater with an agenda, art with an agenda. Um, it's really been great to hear your Valuable insight because you are so naturally thoughtful about so many things, and I really appreciate that. Do you have any
1: final comments you'd like to say? Uh, I I I can't really uh, think of anything. You you pretty much uh, summarized everything that that we talked about. Um, I I appreciate uh, your uh, your compliments of my thoughtfulness. I I hope I wasn't rambling too much i know that sometimes uh talking is is my it's my rough draft of <laughs> of my uh of my thought processes so i'm so i'm sure if we talked about the same topics in 24 hours i would have uh different things to say but uh yeah i think uh even <laughs> even just hearing myself talk i i uh I'm becoming just a little bit more more conscious of some of my perspectives and, and thought patterns. so Yeah,
0: it's great. Again, thank you for speaking with me. I'm Chris, and this has been Interviews. Thanks for listening.